0: Genesis chapter 23, I don't know how many can remember, how many can remember back to 1997? Anybody know what happened that year? Uh, What about August of 1997? Anybody know what happened that year? It's probably not on your radar, or it wasn't, or you forgot about it. Uh, Princess Diana was killed in a car accident. Uh, I don't blame you. I'd have to look it up myself, okay? Uh, that's not something we uh, want to necessarily dwell on. But uh, just the point of what happened during that time, and it's happened with other leaders of the world and and, and famous people, where the whole world seems to be uh, taken over by uh, the mourning of, a, of someone's death. Uh, the world mourned her death. There was an outpouring of grief. And it was seen all over the world. It's the only thing the news could talk about for days there as well. But in Genesis chapter 23, we see the death of another princess. And uh, this is the death of Sarah. Uh, Sarah, uh, her name means princess. And so we see the death of Sarah. And uh, as we look at her death, and this is not something we like to necessarily talk about very much, but we know that uh, death is certainly uh, inevitable. Uh, the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. We have an appointment. all right. We have an appointment with death. If the Lord tarries his coming, he doesn't come to ta- uh, meet us in the clouds, uh, uh, we are going to die. As we look at her death, we see her husband grieving, and like any husband or wife that was lost, a lifelong companion, the heart of Abraham was certainly broken. Uh, when you look at uh, Sarah's death, uh, we see that she did not die tragically, but triumphantly. In Genesis twenty-three, and verse two, it says, "And Sarah died in Arba. The name is, or the same as Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came." to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. She died in Hebron in the land of Canaan. Hebron means fellowship. And Canaan was the land of blessing. She died in fellowship with God and in His will. Uh, We all have an appointment with death, as I've already said. When death knocks on our door, we want to be found, I believe, in fellowship with God. Uh, When death takes a loved one, Uh, We have a blessed promise that if they know the Lord, we're going to see them again. And what a comfort to those who have to say goodbye to someone they love. It's a great promise that gives strength to go until uh, the day we see our loved ones again. And so we're going to look at the death of Sarah and the great promise that uh, was given to Abraham and how it gave him comfort First of all, think with me the home Abraham enjoyed. The home Abraham enjoyed. I go back to verse 1, and it says, And Sarah was 107 and 20 years old. These were the years of the life of Sarah. The Bible tells us she was 127 years old. That's pretty old. Uh, if I make it to, you know, 100, that would be great. But, you know, think about it, another 27 years. Uh, 127 years, that's a long time. But this is actually the only place in the Bible where it gives the age of a woman. How about that? Isn't that interesting? Women don't like to talk about that subject, do they? Here's the only place in the Bible we know the age of a woman here. But most of the time, we just don't talk about that. In those days, girls would marry very young. Maybe at the age of 16 or 17. And so it's possible that Abraham and Sarah were married for 110 years. How about that? You think uh, 30, 40, 50 years is long. How about 110? So for over 100 years, they were husband and wife. Can you imagine being married to someone for 100 years? Well, most of us have a ways to go, don't we? For over a hundred years, they lived together, they learned together, they laughed together, they loved together. And I want us to first see uh, 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 the length of, that their lengthy marriage is a testimony, first of all, of a strong marriage, a strong marriage. It's been said that 38% of all first marriages fail, 79% of all those divorced will remarry, and 44% of those second marriages will fail. I read about one woman that was married four times. Uh, First she married a millionaire, then she married an actor, and then a minister, and finally she married an undertaker. A friend asked her why she married these four types of men. She replied, one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. Well, every couple that gets married makes promises that they will live together until death do they part. But you know what? In our day, in our time, it's usually until debt or disappointment do we part. Well, in the case of Abraham and Sarah, it was until death do us part. I'm sure, and we've read already and we've studied the lives of Abraham and Sarah, we've seen already, they've had their ups and downs. Uh, they've had rough times. They've had times when uh, things didn't go too smoothly. How about when Abraham says, well, she's my sister, you know, and tries to pass her off as his sister so because he's afraid. You know, there are just some things that I'm sure she didn't really uh, appreciate that. Uh, one magazine made a study of the presidents of the top 100 corporations in America, and that's been a while back, but they discovered that these su- successful corporate presidents had a divorce rate of only 5%. And the study concluded that a strong marriage is a contributor to a man's success. Not only does the length of their ma- marriage testify of a strong marriage, but also a special marriage, a special marriage, Uh, Their marriage is special in that God used their marriage as an example for our marriages. God used uh, them as an example in 1 Peter 3, verse 6 and 7. It says, "...even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement, likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Sarah was a model wife, and I believe Abraham was a model husband. So what made their marriage special? Uh, their marriage was special because it was a holy marriage. Their marriage was special because it was a happy marriage. Someone has said, let the wife make the husband glad to come home and let him make her sorry to see him leave. I read about a man that went home with a friend and he noticed that as soon as he walked in the door, he kissed his wife and told her how beautiful she was. After dinner, he kissed her again and told her what a good meal it was. And it was so impressed, uh, such an impression on this fellow that he decided he was going to do the same with his wife. Well, when he walked in the door, he threw his arms around his wife. He kissed her passionately and told her how pretty she was, and she burst into tears. What's wrong, he asked. Oh, it's been a terrible day. First, Johnny sprained his ankle. Then the washing machine broke and flooded the basement. And then the dog uh, drug out the neighbor's trash, and they're upset. And now you come home drunk. Well, sometimes you can't win, men. But uh, what a wonderful example, though, of marriage we have in Abraham and Sarah. As we see in our text here, there came a day that every husband dreads. Abraham's princess died. And so, secondly, we see in her death the hurt that he experienced. The hurt. After verse 1 telling us that she's 127 years old and these were the years of the life of Sarah, it says in verse 2, and Sarah died. After years of being hand in hand, Abraham had to say goodbye to his darling wife. They had been one for over a hundred years. Now she was gone and he was alone. And you can imagine how she felt. All who had lost a loved one can relate. If you've lost a loved one, someone very close to you, you know what the grief and the sorrow is like. Well, Abraham's grief, first of all, was without restraint, without restraint. Verse 2 tells us that Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. He mourned and he wept. Now, this is the only time that we read that Abraham wept. Verse 2 also tells us he came to mourn for Sarah. The idea is that he came into where she had died, and when he saw her, his grief was unrestrained. The verbs mourn and weep are very strong here. And in particular, the word word weep, we see the display of his grief. The word means to lament with grievous sorrow. When Abraham looked upon the lifeless body of his princess, He burst into tears. In the word mourn, we see the depths of his grief. The word means to beat the breast. He's so overcome with emotion and grief, you can almost hear the groans of pain as he beat his breath as he's overcome with emotion and grief. now I believe it's good for families at funerals to know that each tear they shed and the pain that they feel is an expression of love. That they had for their loved ones. The greater love uh, the greater one loved another, the deeper the pain and the sorrow that's felt when they die. It's obvious that Abraham deeply loved Sarah, And the hurt he experience was without restraint. Secondly, we see it's without reproof, without reproof. I believe the Holy Spirit's recording of his grief is a sharing of a very private moment of Abraham's life yet he is not reproved for his obvious expressions of grief. It's like the Holy Spirit is saying that grieving is normal, it's natural, and it's even needful. It's an expression when we say goodbye to our loved one. Now for some fellows, they have the idea that it's not a manly thing to cry. There are even some Christians who feel like it reveals that they're not strong spiritually if they weep. But in Genesis 23, I believe we see one of the greatest men in the Bible who's weeping when his, his wife died. We see him overcome with grief and sorrow. No, it's not wrong to grieve. It's normal. I think of what Paul said in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and verse 30, or 13. He said this to believers there in Thessalonica. He said, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Now, he did not speak of the absence of sorrow. He didn't say you shouldn't sorrow, but you sorrow not. It's a difference in sorrow. A Christian has kind of a a hope in their tears. Uh, They know that they'll see their loved one again, but there's still sorrow. Allow me, if you will, to say some things about death and, and grief. Grief may be, calling, or may be called a life-shaking sorrow over a loss of a loved one. And during times of grief and emotions of, that can come up, there's emotions of anger, sometimes of guilt, sometimes fear that's often involved, and they have to be dealt with. Some folks become very bitter at the people who caused, or they think that caused the death, or they become bitter at God. For allowing that to happen, why would God allow him to die? Why would God allow this to happen to me? Others feel guilty, especially if they've survived a tragedy or if they feel that they've done something, uh, could have done something to prevent the death. Uh, I kind of speak from the experience of being a police chaplain. Uh, I've had a good number of opportunities to go to the homes of people and tell them that your loved one has died. Your loved one, your child, was killed in a car accident. And it's not something that's very enjoyable, to be sure, and that's why sometimes police officers like to have the chaplain do all the talking. I had one uh, chaplain that said uh, uh, he had... He was supposed to go on a death notification with an older officer, and the older officer said, hey, I'll take care of it. I'll do the talking. And uh, so he got up there, and he, couldn't, he didn't know what to say. He said, uh, your, uh, your loved one is over in the hospital. Well, see, that's not something you're going to tell the people because they think they're alive. But they're really dead. Finally, the chaplain had to step in and say, you know, uh, what he is trying to tell you is that they were killed or they died uh, as a result of something. And so, uh, and I've seen many different reactions. One lady reacted like uh, when I told uh, her and her husband that her son had been killed in a motorcycle accident. She said, what is this, a joke? You know, she thought we were pulling a prank on her. Here's an officer standing by me, and we're, we're going to joke about that? Sometimes people uh, just break down and cry. Uh, sometimes uh, uh, others uh, will try to hurt the person that's giving the notification. Always, you never knew what was going to come. You might get you might get hugged or you might get slugged. You know, it, it could have been either way. I uh, thankfully nobody ever hit me because I told them of their their the loss of their loved one, but. Uh, Others will run out of the house in a state of hysteria, and and there uh, you, there are those that just will sit there, and they'll stare off into space. They won't say anything. The times that uh, I remember that uh, I'm thankful for were was one lady that uh, came to talk with her after her husband died, and she couldn't be quiet about the life that he lived and how he loved the Lord, and... And just was a real testimony. It was an ongoing. She just kept on talking about it. And it was just a, a joy. I didn't really have to comfort her. She would was already comforted. Because she knew her husband was with the Lord. She knew that her husband was, uh, had lived a life that uh, honored the Lord. And she couldn't stop telling me the number of stories of things that he was doing and helping in the church and different things. But there are actually seven different stages of grief. Uh, uh, Sometimes there may be uh, five or six, but there are are different stages of grief. Number one, there's the shock stage. Uh, This is when you find out about death. It may last a couple of hours. You may experience some numbness or hysteria or bewilderment. Some folks try to deaden their pain. Uh, You know, some people try to deaden their pain with alcohol or drugs in this stage. I think of... uh, even the scriptures when it says the ark of God was stolen in 1 Samuel chapter 4. The shock killed Eli. It caused his daughter-in-law to go into labor. She gave birth to a boy, and his name was Ichabod. Uh, that'd be quite a handle to have. But uh, there's the shock stage. There's the scramble stage. Uh, that's, that stage doesn't sound, sound very scientific or professional, but I believe it's a descriptive stage stage, the scramble stage, it's where you undergo just complete disorganization. It may last anywhere from 7 to 10 days. There'll be waves of physical distress that come uh, uh, may come deep from within you. You may experience some tight feelings in the throat or a feeling of suffocation. Uh, there'll be a lot of deep sighing, limp limbs and emptiness, a loss of spirit and zest and joy and motivation, some uh, People may become cold and stiff and very formal toward even their friends. Many times God and others will be blamed. And some statements will be that will be made, a common statement is, now what do I do? Now what do I do? And then there's the settled stage. It usually follows the scrambled stage. It's a period where you, you're most neglected and you have the greatest need of support. Many have forgotten your hurt and your pain. Sometimes depression will set in, and there's a tendency to hide in the emotional shell and cut off yourself from those around you. And so uh, this is the settled sa- stage. But before I move on to this chapter, I believe it's important to say something about this idea. Of, I just mentioned depression. Now, I don't deny that people can become depressed, and I, yet my problem is with the way people deal with depression. Or should I say how they deal with a person's depression? I think too often people want to take a pill and they want to deal with it, and that's really not the answer. How do you deal with grief and often depression that follows the loss of a loved one? Well, number one, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Trust God. Trust the Lord. He's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of your family, your finances, your future, your feelings. Trust the Lord. Secondly, Tackle bitterness. Don't allow yourself to become bitter at God or at others. You have a a burden, the burden of bitterness, take it to the Lord. Ask God to take away the anger in your life. Thirdly, talk to a friend. Talk to a friend. Tell a friend your problems and your feelings. I hope you have friends that will stop and listen to you. You know, talk to somebody that will be willing to listen and help you ease the burden. And then take care of your health. Take care of your health. Don't neglect your health. Keep your strength up by eating properly, getting plenty of rest, and then thumb through God's Word. Thumb through God's Word. Now, this isn't just a haphazard uh, look into God's Word, but it's going through God's Word where you know you can find the promises of God, and you can find great comfort and strength And it will come by spending time in God's word. Now, in Abraham's grief, he had a wonderful promise that he would see Sarah again. So the third thing we want to notice here is the hope he expressed. The hope he expressed. In the midst of the tears, I guess you could say there was somewhat of a rainbow. You know, there was hope at the end. There was hope that uh, uh, things would be better. Taking the edge off his pain was a glorious promise. He was not saying goodbye forever, but until he knew that there one day he would see his beloved wife again. Notice the story here. Notice how, first of all, the funeral he arranged in verse 3 and 4. And Abraham stood up from before his dead and spake unto his sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The rest of the chapter kind of gives the details of how he purchased a small piece of property with a cave, which he would use as a tomb, and it kind of became a family burial ground. In verse 5, it says, And the children of Heth answered Abraham, saying unto him, Hear us, My Lord, thou art a mighty prince among us. In the choice of our sepulchers, bury the dead, thy dead. None of us shall withhold from thee his sepulcher, but thou mayest bury thy dead. And Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, even to the children of Hath. And he communed with them, saying, If it be your mind that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat me for me to, uh, to Ephraim and the son of Zohar. And then in verses, uh, these verses that go through the rest of the chapter, we won't take time to read them this afternoon, but notice how Abraham desires a place to bury his wife. And he asks the children of Heth to meditate for him, uh, mediate, excuse me, mediate for him, and ask Ephraim, uh, Ephron if he could sell him the cave of Machpelah. Ephron appears to offer the land for nothing, and that is possible. Actually, this was a common practice of trading one thing for a gift of equal or greater value according to the customs of that day. The price uh, of 400 shekels, uh, which it speaks of here, may seem very high based on the land prices in other sections of Scripture, and yet we do not know the specifics of the quality of the land and the value of the shekel at that particular time. Jeremiah paid 17 shekels for a field, David paid 50 shekels. Abraham pays the price to secure the land for his ancestors at the city gate in front of witnesses, which were, again, it was a common practice of that day. And then after the purchase, he proceeds to bury his beloved wife. Now I can see him as he called his servants in. There, as you get down to the end of this chapter, in verse... uh, Uh, verse 18, it says unto Abraham for a possession in the presence of children of Heth before all that went into the gate of the city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah his wife in the cave of the field of Machpelah uh, before Mamre. The same is Hebron in the land of Canaan. And the field and the cave that are therein were made sure unto Abraham for a possession of a burying place by the sons of Heth. Maybe he called his servants in and said, would you put a dress on her? Uh, She uh, always looked pretty. Put a particular dress on her. She always looked pretty in it. Make her hair just right. You know how picky she was with her hair. Uh, Abraham uh, prepared his wife's body for burial. And we read there that he buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah. And so with love and great care, he buried his wife of over 100 years. So notice there the funeral he arranged. But then the future he anticipated. The future he anticipated. You go back to verse 4, and you notice something he said to the sons of Heth. He said, I am a stranger and a sojourner. He was acknowledging the fact that this world was not his home. When he buried his wife, he buried her with thoughts of how this world was not all that there was. There was a better day coming. Abraham knew and found comfort in the great promise that one day they would live together in their heavenly home. I believe that uh, a great funeral passage is that beloved passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In verse 16 and 17, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. The, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. What a glorious promise that is. You know, the Christian here is assured that there's coming a day that we're going to be with our loved ones again. Uh, we'll never be parted then. And so it's no wonder that in verse 18... Uh, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. In the chapter ahead in our study in Genesis, here in Genesis 25 and verse 8, we read about the death of Abraham, where it says, Then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man, and full of years, and was gathered to his people. I think it's significant that the Holy Spirit said that Abraham was gathered to his people. There's going to be a glorious reunion someday. Vance Havner's wife died at 2.15 a.m. Sunday morning. And then he went on to preach that same Sunday morning. He said in his sermon that morning, just hours after his wife's death, it is sort of overwhelming if you try to figure that out when you've lost your standby, humanly speaking. But then I haven't lost her. Because I know where she's at. You haven't lost anything when you know where it's at. So don't ever say, when your loved one goes, I've lost her or I've lost him. If you're in the Lord, he or she is in the Lord, then you know exactly where they're at. You haven't lost them at all. We're only apart until he comes. And so if you have to say goodbye in this life to someone you've loved deeply, don't ever forget, we'll never say goodbye in glory. There's a song in the old uh, uh, soul-stirring hymn book, uh, Soul-stirring hymns, uh, I think uh, John John R. Rice put it in there. It says, we say goodbye in parting with loved ones here below. We always hope to meet again as on our way we go. But oft our hearts are grieving for those we never meet. We'll say goodbye in sorrow till, at, till we meet at Jesus' feet. Our children leave the home nest for school or wedding bells or country's call or mission field may take them far as well. Now wedding bells are happy and God's way is always right. And absent ones will greet them in the city. That's always that the city will always bright. We'll greet and part with dear, dear ones. We'll say hello, goodbye, and letters bind our fellowship. We miss them, though we try to feel them always near us and follow them with prayer, but parting days are ended when we meet them in the air. Oh, happy, glad homecoming with Jesus in the sky, for sometimes He seems far away, though always if we try. We find Him near to help us. His Spirit dwells within, but only perfect union when we heaven, enter in. And then the chorus is there that is in your notes. We'll never say goodbye in glory in the morning over yonder. We'll never say goodbye in glory. We'll never say goodbye up there. Well, that's a wonderful thought. And I think that's the thought that Abraham had as he, uh, said goodbye here on this earth to his princess, and he said, "We'll never say goodbye in glory." May the Lord help us to uh, take to to heart these uh, these these things are written for our examples, our examples, as Paul said. Let's pray, Father in heaven, thank you <clears throat> for uh, the the truth that we have, even in the book of Genesis here concerning. Uh, the death of of Sarah, uh, we thank you, Lord, that uh, uh, Sarah and Abraham had a strong marriage. They had a happy marriage. They had a marriage that honored and and glorified your your name. We know that there were ups and downs, as there is in every marriage. But Lord, we thank you that they uh, loved each other and lived with each other and laughed together and had uh, a great joy uh, serving you together. And Lord, we pray that that would be the the case in in our lives as well. Lord, we pray uh, that you'll bless uh, this particular passage to our hearts and these thoughts uh, this afternoon. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.